0: This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. If you would like to learn how to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com writingexcuses. Season 14 Episode 20
1: This is Writing Excuses, Allegory and Fiction.
0: Fifteen minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Mary Rabinette. I'm Margaret.
2: I'm standing in for every bald guy ever.
1: (laughs) So this is going to be a fun episode because we realized as we were doing uh, preparations that we have no idea how to define an allegory. (laughs) (laughs) We're writers. We just, the definitions
0: are hard. (laughs) Yeah.
1: What, What, what do you guys think? What is an allegory?
0: So when I think of allegories, I mean, there's the classic things like Animal Farm. But I'll have to be honest that the first thing that jumps into my mind is Aesop's Fables, which are a little bit more uh, on the nose than than something like Animal Farm, um, 1984. But for me, there are stories in which we have a message and we would like to convey it to you through fiction.
1: Yes, I think that underlying um, idea— I is think going one to of the, the core one
2: here. of the best examples of that comes to us from the story of David and Bathsheba and Nathan comes to David and tells the allegory of the ewe lamb. You know, there was this man who had a precious lamb and uh, another man came and took it and claimed it and slaughtered it and what what should we do? And David says, "Well, the guy who slaughtered the lamb should clearly be killed." And Nathan said, "Ha! You're the guy who killed the lamb because you took you took uh uh, I'm Uriah, Uzzi- uh, you, you took his wife and you sent him off to battle to die, this is on you. That is classic allegory format, where the reader won't accept the true version of the story, but they will accept the version of the allegory, and then you've got them. Mm.
3: It's, it's interesting, because I don't know if it's part of the dictionary definition of allegory, but just the word connotes in my head the religious allegory right. is very strong there. Uh, specifically, frankly, the Christian allegory. Yeah. Um,
0: they may not have invented the form, but I do feel like it has been embraced. Yeah. And it's funny because I'm like, there's, I'm sure that there's some literature professor listening to us right now going, no, that's a parable, you fool. <laughs> <laughs> or no, that's not an allegory. That's a,
1: we're, we're just going to use lowercase allegory. Yeah. <laughs> it's stories just, that are trying to teach something. Yeah. Um, and for me, you know, the, the line between a story that just kind of develops its own theme um, and an allegory would be inserted intentional symbols. Yes. Um, at least for me, that you're writing and say, this is a symbol for something. And I'm going to now tell a story using that symbol in my mind as author. But, of course, um, I've often brought up the story where Tolkien insisted that uh, Lord of the Rings was not an allegory for anything, particularly not World War One. Um,
3: <laughs> and Certainly not.
1: <laughs> you know, at some point, I think there's a great argument between reader interpretation and author intent, and all of this stuff that you can have. But we'll shove that to the side for now. We're just going to talk about, let's say you want to do this. You want to use your story to teach something um, or to be a symbol for something. How do you do it?
0: So one of the things that you mentioned is specific symbols inserted intentionally. Uh, and that's one of the things that you would be doing is making decisions. So uh, examples that people give of the Lord of the Flies, mm-hmm. that the conch represents power. And and so once you know that, then you have to think about every time that is being used, is it supporting the notion of power? Uh, when you're picking your symbols, you want them to in some way align thematically with whatever, with that, whatever thing it is that you are trying to, to lay the groundwork for. Uh, so that's one aspect.
2: Um, I, I can't think of allegory without also thinking of satire. Uh, mm. Allegory is a way to make us think about a thing differently so that, ordinarily, uh, the writer is able to give us a message that we wouldn't otherwise accept or wouldn't as readily accept. Satire is doing exactly the same thing.
1: Yeah, I would say they are... They fall under the same definition. Which definition
2: that is, I don't know. Whether satire is an allegory. This allegory yeah. is satirical. Yeah. This satire is allegorical. Yep. I, there are lots of examples of both. And the reason I bring it up is that uh, the first question, the first question I would I would ask and then answer for myself is, do I want this story to be allegorical because? I have a mission to change hearts and minds Mm -hmm. or do I want this story to be allegorical because I feel like my writing should have a deeper purpose than me just telling a good story. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's a great place to start. That question right there, I feel like too many new writers will trip over this need to communicate something deeper and try and do it deliberately when, as you already established with Tolkien, um, Mm, boy, even if you, a lot of these things are going to come out unconsciously, and you're going to say things that are true, that you didn't know you were saying.
0: So I'm gonna I'm gonna say that I, I think that Tolkien actually has a has a real point that it, it it's not an allegory, uh, because he's not he's not trying to convey a message, and that is that is one of mm-hmm. the definitions of an allegory is that it is trying to convey a message or a moral. Yeah, and if yeah. you
1: will read what Tolkien says about it, he's like, I don't want anything specific to be a symbol. I do want to communicate themes and ideas, but I don't like symbolism as one to one correlations. Um, and so, so for him, that was a big part. So of it. it's
2: fairer to say then that it's not an allegory of World War I, but it is allegorically related to the destruction of warfare. Yes. Uh, yeah. Abuses of power yeah. Yeah. and yeah. industry mm-hmm. and whatever.
0: Whereas Animal Farm is very clearly an allegory yeah. about. Uh, US Russian relations and and, and and the accumulation of power. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and there is a specific there are specific messages that are being conveyed in that. Yep. This horse is this person and this mm-hmm. pig is yes yeah.
1: so let me ask the question then. Um, there have been some in sci-fi fantasy this is very commonly done. Um, both terms. The, I just wanted to tell a theme, but also the this is specifically meant to teach you something and represent something. And you can find um, multiple examples of this throughout recent science fiction and fantasy, whether you're picking uh, The Golden Compass or whether you're picking um, Sword of Truth. These are major fantasy series that have been written with the intent to teach, and it's interesting to read reactions to these. Um, readers, in my experience, um, don't want to know about the behind the scenes. They don't want to know about this. Why is that? Why do they immediately um, kind of turn against that idea? Um, and uh, is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? Is that just how it is? I think
2: it's illustrative of the purpose of allegory. Mm-hmm. If If telling you what the allegory is turns you off to the story, then the message is one that you likely wouldn't have received. hmm Mm. Um, and so, and so the allegory is important and it is doubly important that you are as, uh, opaque as possible in the way this is related so that they can get the story and they can enjoy it and they can internalize it. And at some point years in the future, they realize, oh, that story really was exactly like political si- situation X, Y, Z. And I have conflicting opinions about both of those and now I have to reconcile those as a human being. I certainly think that's a valid interpretation, though I'm going to point out
1: like, I, I believe it won the Hugo Ponies. Um, uh, Hugo's short story, which was very blatant about its metaphor and was very in some ways divisive because of that, but that divisiveness was what made the story work and mm-hmm. is why it was so widely regarded. I actually actually loved the story. And so in that case, The allegory, maybe it's because it was a short story, so it didn't overstay its welcome, but the allegory punched me in the face, made me sit down and think, and I'm glad that it punched me in the face.
3: Yeah, I, I do wonder if there is a tie to length and obviousness of your allegory. It's easier to get away with, you know, citing your David and Bathsheba Example from the beginning, this is a very short story. It doesn't have to be that subtle, and it probably can't be. If you were telling an extended allegory over an entire novel or a series of novels, does that lend itself to veering more into this is an extended metaphor that's exploring themes? Because I mean, I know I, as a reader, if you're going to hit me over the head with something, you better do it fast. If you're going to keep doing it for 300
0: pages, I might get a headache. And I also think that it, it, there has to be something else going on there. You know, mm-hmm. like Animal Farm, you can read that without having any idea of the allegory and and the story holds. Uh, I think that if there's something, because and part of it is we like, you know, the personality of the animals and—, mm-hmm. and but but I think that if you're going to do an allegory and there's nothing else going on that yet, yeah, then it has to be super short. And yeah, that's I would the, agree. Yeah. And that's the reason that a lot of the, the things that are allegories are in novel length are masked under layers and layers and layers of stuff. But it is, um, again, I think the, the thing is that in an allegory where where the writer is setting out to do it deliberately, they have a point that they're trying to make. Uh, Elizabeth Baer says that the difference between, um, uh, between a, kind of a, a story and a polemic is that in a story you raise questions and that in a polemic you answer them.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I think that one of the things that happens with an allegory, and this is why people get, will get angry about it when they notice it, is that they don't like being told what to think, which is what is often happening in an allegory, especially if it's the only thing that's going on.
4: Hey, writers. Are you thinking about learning a new language? for a very limited time, Writing Excuses listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.
1: Let's go ahead and pause here for the book of the week. Mary, you have the book of the week?
0: Yeah, it's Head On by John Scalzi. Okay. Um, So Head On is on its surface a fun romp, and it is just dealing with... Uh, there's a, a murder, and uh, it, the main character is an FBI agent, and they're trying to solve the murder. Uh, and, then, and it's also dealing with uh, this, this whole uh, gaming, sports franchise, political intrigue thing. But it's also, underneath that, an allegory for disability. Uh, the main character has something called Hayden, or Hayden's disease, uh, and is locked in. Uh, and because of that, and everybody who has Hayden's disease has Threeps, which are these robots that go around. Uh, and so it's dealing with, you know, this, this fun romp, but at the same time, it is having a very serious conversation about disability uh, rights in the United States. Mm-hmm. That is very contemporary and very much an allegory for, for a lot of stuff that's going on.
1: Yeah, that's that's actually let's let's jump into that idea. Um because the further you go on this that's like the allegory is becoming something else, maybe a different term. Maybe it's just allegory where it's not a specific symbol allegory it's more of a concept, but let's say you want to write a story and you you know, you ask yourself Howard's question earlier. What do I want to do? Do I want to tell a great story? Do I want to go deep into a topic? What if the answer is yes, I want yeah. to do both. Um how can you take something and teach um, or get across an idea you want to get across to make the world a better place, but you don't want your story to be consumed by it to the point that it becomes a fable.
3: I think Mary really was hitting on it earlier is that it has to work at multiple levels. Whether or not someone is getting the allegory or the connections you're trying to make, if it still works as a story, then— you know then you've still got something there we were discussing earlier about reading The Lion the Witch and the Wardrobe I read it when I was a kid I was a nice Jewish girl the, the Christ metaphor flew right over my head. I had no idea, but it's like, but it was a cool story and there was the magic in the line. It was a really touching moment when he dies. And I'm like, oh, wow. And, but just like, you
0: didn't see the rising no, again coming at all. No, <laughs> it was
3: a total surprise. <laughs> and, and so it's sort of like when you, you throw in what we call uh, the two, a joke that's a two percenter mm. that only two percent of your audience is going to get. You can get away with that if the of your audience who doesn't get it can just read right over it and they don't feel like they're missing anything. And I think this is similar.
0: We did that all the time going into elementary schools with children's theater because we had to write for uh, we had to write for multiple age groups. And the the rule was that it was okay if everybody didn't get it, but no one could feel like they were being excluded because they didn't get something.
2: The... uh Elder Scrolls Online, there was a content plug-in dropped in uh, 2018 called Somerset, which opens with a story about immigration. The Somerset Isle has been locked off to everybody except high elves, and 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 now the Queen has said other people can come in, and people are angry about it, and bad things are happening to immigrants. And if that doesn't sound immediately political, um, I don't know where you've been. But uh, the way they handled it was— Whoever your character is, you are mistreated the moment you arrive. Everyone talks down to you, and you as a player, uh, you know, if you're invested in the game, you're invested in your character. You want to be liked, you want to be able to accomplish things. you want to be able to have quests and adventures. And everyone is talking down to you, and you feel wronged. And I think that if you want to if you want to have an allegory, if you want to tell a story that invites people to take the other side of an issue that they are already taking you need to invest them in a point of view that is likable and that is uh that they want to invest in uh that has that that's being oppressed in that way or that's being being chased out in that way
0: and and i think actually this is this is another thing that I feel like it's really important to bring up, even if you don't want to write an allegory, it's really important as a science fiction writer or fantasy writer to understand how allegory allegories work so that you do not have accidental allegories that are really deeply problematic.
1: And that's, I'll just say you're probably going to have them at some point because of your own unconscious biases. We have an entire podcast on that last year. Um, and learning—the more you learn, the more you learn to accept—and then deal with—the um, better your writing will get.
0: Yeah, absolutely. But you want to think about when you when you're inventing a fictional thing. It's mm-hmm. like, does this will this work as a stand-in for something in the real world? How does it map to the real world? Are you bringing in some of these things and make sure that you know that you're you're thinking about. the thematic elements as if you were going to construct an allegory. And if you don't intend to do that, pull that thread out and remap it.
1: I would uh, agree that that is excellent advice. Um, I'm going to give us our homework, which is uh, we've talked about this kind of blurry line between allegory and fable, and we're not even sure if there is one. Um, (laughs) But what I want you to do is I want you to take a famous like Aesop's Fable or something like this, and I want you to try to retell it as an allegory, meaning you're backing off on the, uh, on the didactic drill in the lesson and ba- coming forward on characterization and uh, the themes of these characters so that it, it steps one step towards story and one step away from simple metaphor. This has been Writing Excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go write.
0: Writing Excuses is a Dragonsteel production, jointly hosted by Brandon Sanderson, Dan Wells, Mary Robinette Kowal and Howard Taylor. This episode was mastered by Alex Jackson. Save Big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for 129 each, then get flavorful Tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for 249 a pound all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger less than five miles away, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save Big today.